I'm excited about today because today is the last Sunday in our Better Together series. So it's been eight, this is week eight, if you can believe it, um, of our Better Together series. And then next week, we're sort of having the capstone of it all with Eddie and Judith, Ju- Judy, wow, Eddie and Judy. Um, and then we're going to jump into some fun holiday stuff. So I want to pray because I'm going to need it and you will need it. And um, yeah, Lord, thank you for your presence this morning. God, I ask that you would just speak the word that's on your heart for all of us this morning and um, help us jive with you, flow with you, hear from you um, in all these ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last eight weeks, I kind of wanted to just recap a little bit of what we've talked about and remind you guys of some of the things. And we started about eight weeks ago with Grant sharing about... um, kingdom community and what does it look like in the Bible. And uh, all of these messages are on our podcast, so if there's one that you think, oh, I didn't hear that, and you want to go back and listen to it, you can go grab it on there. And then we talked about the hurdles that we face with being around other people, right? Hurdles in ourselves, hurdles around other people, just the challenge of loving people well and all that comes with that. And then Grant shared a powerful message that many of you were not here for on honor, so if you haven't listened to one, grab that podcast. And just how do we love people and see the gold in them and not stumble over who they're not, which is a hard thing, right? We have to do that in our own families when we look and say, well, I see you as this, and God says, yeah, but I see them as this, you know, and how do we choose to honor them um, like God does? We talked about biblical conflict. We talked about how important it is to love yourself and take care of yourself. We talked about being a warm, healing person. You guys remember that one? It's a lot of modeling of what that looks like to be a kind person. Um, We talked about letting your light shine bright. And then today we're going to talk about how we're better together because we bring change. So I'm wearing my new shirt, which says she believes in everything changes, which is from Mark 9, 23 in the message translation. And I mean, we could say she as women, but we're going to say she as the church, because today we're talking about how what we believe changes things. And we have this ability to believe something in God that will affect the lives of the people around us. This is what we're here to do, right? And as I was praying about this morning, God gave me a picture of an incubator. And I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with what an incubator is, but when you have a baby prematurely, they go into an incubator. And it's a plastic-looking thing. And what it is is it's a controlled environment that doctors can control everything about it. The temperature, how much light comes in, what types of germs are introduced to the baby that's in the incubator. And it's, it's designed specifically for premature babies or unusually small babies is what the actual definition says. And I said, Lord, what does an incubator have to do with talking about bringing change? And he said this to me, and I thought this really stretched me. He said, a lot of the church today wants to be in an incubator. We want to have control over our entire environment. Who comes in? Who doesn't come in? We want to have control over how much light we're experiencing. We want to have control over the temperature, right? If any of you guys are... uh, married, you know that your first year of marriage is usually the big fight over what temperature your house is going to (laughs) be. You know, (laughs) we had a good temperature going until I got pregnant the first time. And then it was like, you know, we had to buy Grant an electric blanket because I just had to crank the air down so bad. I was so hot all the time. And we had a new fight over what's the temperature of our house going to be. And there's something about the church that we've just bought into this lie that we are unusually small. And so therefore we need to incubate. And as long as we are doing that, we are never going to fulfill the Great Commission. 
And my intention this morning is to put some thought-provoking thoughts inside of your head. You don't have to agree with me right off the bat. That's totally fine. But I'm hoping that you'll take some time this week to sort of process some of these thoughts and see where are you, how are you doing. I can say for myself, after listening to the Lord last night talk about that, I had to really sit back and think, well, how much of my life am I living in an incubator? It's a lot more comfortable, you know? There's no bugs. There's no scary people. You don't get to come into the NICU where they have the babies in the incubator unless you are approved by the parent of someone, right? There's a whole lot of control. We get to decide if you have some kind of a cough or a sickness or whatnot, you're just automatically off the list because it's too dangerous for the baby. And there's something about the church that's bought into this mentality of our smallness that we've kind of said the same thing. Oh, you're too dangerous. If you come into this place in my world, I'm going to suffer. And I'm just telling you from my own personal experiences, I have struggled with this off and on. I love being around people who don't struggle with this because it raises you up higher, you know? We went to Indonesia about nine years, ten years ago, and we had this opportunity to um, stay for a month with these two missionaries there who are off the charts, radical. It's really like reading the book of Acts, like living it, and it was a very transformational experience for us. And um, the wife of the, the woman missionary, <laughs> she was telling me the story, and she said, well, when I go into the market, now this island in, in Indonesia, they don't have a very good justice system. Their government is completely corrupt. So if you commit a crime, it just becomes known around town that you did this crime, and people stay away from you, and you normally don't ever do jail time for it. So she said, well, I go into the market, and I say, God, show me the worst of everybody. I'm like, what? Because these are, you know, in our day, you go into Walmart, and the worst of everybody is probably not going to be the person who's killed five people and just hasn't gone to jail, right? <laughs> that's not normally our interactions with people. And she said, and I'll, that's who I go. That's who I target. And I'm listening to her thinking to myself, oh, you are crazy. You know, I can't even imagine myself walking in and going, show me the worst, God. That's the one I want to talk to. You know, I'd be like, show me the worst. Great. I will position myself. <laughs> to be the farthest away possible, right? Because I'm in an incubator, and I don't need that in my life. If I expose myself to that kind of darkness, then what's going to happen to me? And she was telling me the story about this man who was just, he was like two feet taller than her, and he was really bad. I think he had killed a few people. He was just a really bad guy, majorly on drugs all the time. And she walked right up to him and introduced herself and said, you need to come to church. I'm like, what? And he eventually got saved, got delivered, got restored. And it was like, I'm listening to her tell the story. And she goes, oh, I have hundreds of these stories. And so I came home from Indonesia feeling pretty like, yes, I can go to the worst of these because she did, you know. And then you walk up to me, you're like, oh, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> because we're comfortable in this place of believing that we're unusually small. This church that they've planted there, I think they started in this city about 20 years ago, 25 years ago probably now. And um, when we got off the airplane, we've been traveling for 58 hours, and we walked into their church service. And it was rough. I'm just going to be honest. And uh, the missionary said to me, <laughs> he said, around 5 o'clock today, all of you are going to feel you have sandpaper rubbing across your eyeballs, and I need you to stay awake for at least one more hour. He was just explaining how the jet lag was going to work, being on the complete opposite side of the world. And so we're all so tired wanting to fall asleep in this choir. The whole service was in Indonesian, so we couldn't understand it. And there's a men's choir up there singing and dancing. And the pastor leans over to me, and he says, uh, you see that guy, third from the left? I said, yeah. And he goes, he's a child rapist. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I just brought 
about 15, 18 year olds with me across the world here and we're doing what? And then he goes down the list and every single person in this men's choir were like the worst of the worst. I mean, we're talking like they emptied the jail and made a choir of the men and brought them out. That's like what it was. And he's like, yeah, that guy's a, a chronic drug abuser. This guy uh, did all these terrible things to his wife, just down the line. And these men, you would never know. They were a men's choir in every true sense of the word, just praising Jesus, singing along. And I'm just sitting there like, do I tell anybody what you just told me or not? You know, this is really challenging my faith. And what we began to experience over the next course of this month is that almost every person in their church had a story like that. Part of that's because of the culture of their city and there's no justice system, so people just do really bad things. But part of it was they believe the gospel is so transformative that it will overpower whatever darkness someone else has. But you can't get to that mentality if you're still believing you're unusually small. Right? And so the incubator th thinking, we have to address it head on. I'm having to do this in my own life. I'm just being totally honest. I'm preaching you a message that I'm also preaching to myself. I'm on this journey with myself of, of saying, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to believe that God, who you say you are, is who you are. And I've seen that happen in so many times. But just, I don't know if it's our postmodern world or what it is, but there's something about middle America that just makes us want to suburbanize everything, including God. We were in Pennsylvania a week ago. And, um, you know, I had a great time at this conference we were at. It was really physically challenging for me in a number of ways. And I came home with a number of physical challenges. And by about Wednesday, <coughs> I was feeling like the queen of the prom queen of the pity party. <laughs> Anybody ever have those moments, you know? And I was just sitting there thinking, Lord, why did you do this? And, oh, if you had only done this, and if you had not done this, then I would, you know, and just going down this list of things. And all of a sudden, I got really depressed. It's interesting how our thoughts can steer our emotions, right? And I was sitting there, and Grant was about to leave for his work, and I, I was just like, wow, I'm really down in the dumps, like bad, you know, like just hang out in my bed all day, watch TV, kind of down in the dumps, and I'm sitting there thinking, five days ago, I didn't feel this way at all, so what changed, right? Nothing had happened circumstantially except for some just sickness stuff, which that's, you know, comes and goes, and so I, I, I was spending time with the Lord, and I said, God, show me, what is going on here? What am I missing? And he said, well, tell me what you're believing. I thought, okay. And so I, I identified it by writing it out in my journal and being honest. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you lied about this. <laughs> I'm thinking, you said this would be easy, and it's not. You're, you know, and I went through all these things. And as I identified it, I began to recognize, oh, these thoughts are not in line with the Son of God. These thoughts are in line with someone who feels unusually small that doesn't know who you really are, but God, that's not me. I know who you really are. So now what do I do? And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I don't want to think this way. He said, then don't. Well, surely, Lord, it can't be that easy, <laughs> right? And so I sat down and I said, here's what I'm going to think. And I wrote in my journal, I'm going to believe this because I know this is true. I'm going to, this is what the word says about you, God, you are always with me. So even though I feel alone right now, that's a lie because it's against your word. Lord, I'm going to, and I went down about three things, and about three things down, all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I'm starting to not feel so depressed anymore. Might consider giving my prom queen, pity queen, queen crown, it's a, a riddle, my pity queen crown back, right? RSVP, I don't need that. 
thank you, but no, I won't be going to this party. And by 20 minutes later, I was totally feeling like myself again, even though my circumstances hadn't changed at all. I still didn't feel good. I still was kind of frustrated by some of the things that were and were not happening that day, right? But I was able to get myself into a place that was in line with who God says. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today is what are we thinking about? Because together we have this opportunity to challenge each other's thoughts. To come around and say, hey, you know what? I know this is what's going on in your life right now, but I'm here to say you can come up higher. There is hope in the midst of this frustration. There is an answer. I don't know what it is, but I know there is one, right? And we need each other to come stand and link arms with us on those days where we want to get in the incubator. And we want to go, close me in, hatch me up. All of you put your hazmat suits on and keep all your crap away from me, right? Anybody else It's just me? We all have those days where we think, put me back in there. I'm so small, you're going to affect me, and it's going to be bad. But God is going, no, 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 the incubator's only for the premature babies. A, a, a normal, healthy, full-term baby has no need to be enclosed. All it needs is to be loved and cared for and doted on, right? And so there's this place where we have to stand up and say, okay, I need to have another thought. I've been thinking this way, and it's not working out for me, and I need to have a new thought. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew 5:15, "You are the light of the world." Grant talked about this a little bit last week. And this is not just a promise, it's a declaration. This is an identity statement. Here's the truth of the matter. Our world is in complete chaos, right? Everybody knows this. I think Grant and I, <laughs> I sent him this meme yesterday that was a picture of the Passover where this guy in old robes was painting, you know, the posts, and it said, uh, "This is me prepping for election day." <laughs> I was like, this is perfect, and I loved it. I thought it was so funny because there is this feeling that we all, no matter what side of the party line you're on, we're all freaking out, right? And we're all kind of going, oh, Lord, (sighs) there's just this chaos in the atmosphere. But we have a solution. We have the hope because our hope does not rest in who wins. I mean, it feels like it does, right? Let's just be really honest. It genuinely feels like, oh my gosh, I've got my incubator ready. I've got all my supplies stocked in there. And if this person wins or that one wins, I'm getting in and locking myself in, right? There's this feeling that comes up, but the feeling is there because we're not high enough in our thinking, because our thinking is still unusually small. Matthew 18, and I've talked about this before, but 18 and 19 talks about whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Here's the deal. As sons and daughters of God, we have this opportunity to decide what comes in and what doesn't. I was so, I had an interesting experience this week. Um, This year for my oldest son has been kind of a hard year. He's had a lot of challenges of different things at school that have come up. And I've been so impressed to watch how he has handled himself through each of these situations because he could have easily been really sad and, you know, moping around, and not that he doesn't have moments of frustration about it, but he's choosing to believe something that I never told him to believe, that Grant never told him to believe, but in his relationship with God, he believes that God's going to come through for him. So this last week, he had, um, he's a really brilliant reader, and so his teacher set this incredibly lofty goal for him, and she told us at the conference, I don't really think he's going to make it, but I thought, let's just challenge him and see what happens. Well, he got the goal, And he said he was sitting in the class, and he didn't even know, he didn't think he had gotten it. And she announced his name, that he had gotten the AR goal, and that he got to go to the cart and pick out these prizes. So because he had so many points, he was able to get a lot of prizes. At the end of the day, this was Thursday? 
at the end of the day, he goes to his backpack, and all of his prizes were gone. And someone had stolen them out of his backpack. There's like four or five of them. And it was at the very end of dismissal, and so they tried really hard to figure out who it was, and they just weren't able to figure it out. And so he came, and when I pick them up every day, I always ask him, talk, what's the highlight, what's the low light, something that made you laugh, something that you saw was unfair. We go through questions like that. And so he said, Mom, are you ready for my low light? Before, it was the first thing he got in the car. And I said, yeah. And he said, I got robbed. <laughs> and of course, my first thought is, what? You know, what do you mean you got robbed? Like, and I'm thinking, you don't even have anything to be robbed from. It's like I had to walk myself through, wait a second, this is just a dramatic moment. And he said, I got robbed. He said, I know I put my Capri Sun, which was ice cold, in my backpack. And he said, I zipped it up and left this little hole so that it would stay cold. It's just his nine-year-old thinking. And he said, and when I went back, my bag was totally open and all my stuff was gone. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and had that mama bear moment of, well, let's go search the whole room, right? And because he's had some struggles with some other kids in his class this year. And I'm sitting there thinking, be cool, be cool. How would Jesus respond to this? And I said, well, how do you feel about it? And he goes, I'm pretty angry, but it's okay. He said, because I didn't think I was going to get the goal, but I did, so I was really happy about that. And I'm driving home, I'm thinking, just pray for me, right? Because that's an injustice, a real injustice, especially when you're nine, that your Capri son got taken. And so we talked about it, and I said, you know what, let's just pray that God would show you, you know, that God would move. And so we prayed for a minute, nothing lengthy or whatever. So I get an email from his teacher later that night, and she said, hey, here's what happened. Um, and I tell him that I'm going to replace everything tomorrow so he doesn't have to worry about it. And I thought, oh, okay, thank you, Lord, that's great. That's all, he, he didn't care. So he comes home the next day, he goes, you'll never guess, Mom, I think my teacher had a misunderstanding, but I got two things of everything. I said, what? And he goes, yeah, they actually found my stuff, and so I had already had it replaced, so they let me keep both. And I looked at him, and I was like, that's biblical. Because what the Bible says in Deuteronomy is that when the enemy steals something from you, when he's, when he's caught stealing something from you, you can demand double back from it. So I told him this, because I said, this wasn't a fluke. I said, it might have been an accident on your teacher's part, but this was God. This is what we prayed for. And look at how he's showing you how he restores things that are taken from you, right? And it was this great thing. And then, unfortunately, one of the other kids ate one of the pieces of candy without him knowing. And so we were back to a deficit. But uh, <laughs> that's the way life goes sometimes, right? But there was this thing as I'm listening to him that I thought, man, the way that you're thinking is guiding you in such a way that it's, it's wrecking his teacher too. And he just turned nine last week because he believes in God being so big. And why does he believe that? Because we don't function as our home in an incubator in every area. <laughs> we got some areas that we're locked away, you know, working on unlocking those. But in most of the place, we believe, God, you are everything the word says you are. And so our responsibility is not to ask questions about why you did something, but to trust you that you're going to come through. It's a discipline you have to learn because we're all used to asking why from four or three years old, right? When you have a toddler and you're going, is there a mute button on this thing? <laughs> you're like, why, mom? Why is this? Why that? And you just go, because I said so. And you're like, it's not even a valid answer, but you just need to not have that question asked for you one more time, you know? And I, from an early age, we just do that. And then we turn it to the Lord and we start saying, well, why'd you do this, God? Why'd you do that? It's not wrong to ask why, but it's a much easier place to live when we say, you know what, Lord? You don't have to answer to me. You don't actually owe me anything. And in fact, I'm not co-God with you. I'm a co-heir with Christ, but that doesn't mean that I'm like you, God. So you're not accountable to explain yourself to me. My, what, what I'm accountable to you for is to trust you. 
and to do that work on my own heart. So I want to read this quote to you guys. This is a Steve Jobs quote. I love this. I hope you do too. It says, here's to the crazy ones. Has anybody ever heard this before? So good. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So here's to the crazy ones. I'm crazy enough to believe that in this room, we're a bunch of these misfits, round pegs, and square hole rebels. For Jesus, of course. (laughs) But there's this thing where when we catch hold of how big we can actually be in God, and how big God really is, that we change things. I want to tell you this testimony. Um, when Jack was two years old, which is a couple years ago, we had just moved up here, and um, I put him in a Mother's Day Out little class, and I connected with one of his teachers, just dropping him off and picking him up and having, you know, just a chit-chat here and there. And so I ended up adding her on Facebook, and we kind of became friends. And she said to me one day, um, you know, we're not supposed to add the parents of our kids in the class to our Facebook. So she's like, don't tell anybody I did that. And I said, oh, okay. That's weird, but all right. And so we've developed this friendship, and then I I started praying for her, and I knew there was some things going on in her life because I'd seen it on Facebook. And so I was saying, God, I don't know how to do, like, the evangelism thing. That's not me. Um, But if you'll open a door, I'll walk through it and maybe push me if I stutter (laughs) at the door threshold, right? And so I was praying for her for about four days just saying, God, I know there's an answer that I can help her. I can encourage her to find that answer in you. I know that. So if you'll open the door. Well, like four days later, I get a Facebook message from her, and she said to me, I don't know if you can help me with this, but I'm looking for someone who can teach me more about Jesus. So, Here's my door, right? I said, of course I can help you. You know, what do you, what do you want to know? And we started talking, and she said, she was telling me this is, she said, I, I, I am saved from a childhood, but I don't walk with God at all, and I really don't know much about Jesus, to be totally honest with you. And she said, there's something about the way that you talk that I'm realizing you know something about God that I've never experienced. Now, I want to just say, I had never preached to her. I'd never talked to her about God. I'm just living my life, picking up my kids, right? But there was something that she was able to see in me that put a hunger in her that, wait a second, so then there are people who believe like this. And if there's people who believe like this, then maybe I can be one of them. And so she had a total transformation. Her family's had a total transformation. They've been through some really, really difficult things in the last year and a half. And it's been amazing to go back and say, three years ago, Lord, she was on your heart because you knew what was going to come and you wanted her to be able to sew in and have a foundation in you before all this stuff happened, right? And so just by me just being there, and I'm saying that to say we're all there somewhere at our jobs, at the grocery store, wherever. This was nothing super spiritual that I was doing except just picking up my kid and trying not to look too frazzled because I had two toddlers, you know, wanted to kind of keep some kind of composure while I'm like, don't run away, either one of you. And these interactions were so short, and what was so interesting was, wow, Lord, in the midst of this chaotic moment that I would never have seen you were doing something, you were doing something. So as we choose to say, I'm not unusually small, because God, you are big, 
It doesn't mean that it's going to be this ricochet of revival that happens from one encounter. It might be. But it could just mean that in this moment, I can shift something. I can change something for this person's life. You guys tracking, tracking with me? So Ephesians 3, I want to read this real quick to you guys. This is a verse that God's been putting on my heart a lot lately. and it's this, I'm going to read it to you from the message, but it's Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. And it says, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its lengths. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. There's some things going on in my personal life that I'm looking at and thinking, Lord, how are you going to do this? And they involve other people, and we all know that we can't control other people, so I wish I could just go get in this incubator. <laughs> Let me just take this out and take this out, and you'll be fine, right? But it doesn't work like that, because these are adult people, and it just doesn't work like that. And I've been sitting here for the last six months probably saying to the Lord, I know you're doing something, but I don't know what it is. And I found myself recently stepping back and thinking, maybe it's not going to be this. It's like my experience is just becoming smaller and smaller. And that happens sometimes when we're waiting on God to move and do something, right? We get tired. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We just, we, we get tired of believing. But God's been speaking this verse to me, and he's been saying, what would be your wildest dream? Well, my wildest dream would be that this would happen, but I know that's a long shot, you know? And he's like, why? Because it is, Lord. <laughs> do you know this person? <laughs> right? But God's been challenging me, and he's been saying, if you come into this place where you think bigger, where you let your heart say, you know what, all of these circumstances aren't going to change, but my thoughts can change, and so I can come to a greater place of peace and awareness, and I can be bigger in my spirit in a sense where I now have dominion over these things that want to control me, right? That I want to be sad about these situations, but I can stop and say, you know what, that sadness is not going to lead me to an end goal where I want to be. So instead, I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to say, I'm going to be hopeful till the bitter end. And I'm going to believe you, God, that my wildest dreams, which are really big, guys. You know that word people say, you need to dream bigger. You know that prophetic word some people get. God's never given me that dream, that word. I don't think he ever will because my dreams are pretty, I don't know why. I just am a big dreamer. But I read this, and it's like God's going, you know what? Even you, with all of your big dreams, I'm going to outdo even your wildest dreams. I'm like, Game on, Lord. Let's see it, right? Because there's this thing inside of us, the crazy ones, the, the ones who dare to not be unusually small, where we can say, I don't know what you're going to do about that. I don't know how you're going to do it. And at the moment, I'm thinking it's not going to happen. But I'm going to believe 
that you are who you say you are and that you are so good that you're going to be better. And it may not be tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, I'm not going to go put myself back in the incubator. That's the challenge. I heard it said at this conference last week. He said, it's the battle that you fight after the battle you just won. Right? I have won this place of victory. Okay, I'm thinking big. And now I have another battle to stay big, to not let myself shrink back down. Right? But if we can do this, let me, let me back up. To do this, we need each other. Because we need each other to come around and say, hey, you're bigger than this. Don't be discouraged. Don't incubate yourself. It's the tendency. I know. I feel it. We can, we can have sympathy in the moment. I get it. I know. I want to get in there too. <laughs> Let's put that warm blanket heating pad thing on and have the nurse come and feed us a bottle and, you know, stroke our hair, Right? We all want that sometimes, but instead we can go, I know you want that, but listen, you're not unusually small. You're the crazy ones who dare to believe that God could do more than your wildest dreams. So let's have another thought. You guys with me? I'm with me, so there's two of us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what? Oh, Lord. What I want to do to end is um, let's, I want to play that song we did, the first one of worship this morning. You know that chorus that says, you're never going to let me down? I know that sometimes when we're singing that song and we're declaring out, you're never going to let me down, our memories start reminding us of the moments that we think God let us down. And it can be hard to worship the Lord going, you're never going to let me down while I'm also simultaneously thinking about that time that you did. Anybody else ever have those moments? And so then you don't want to sing it because you don't want to jinx yourself or you don't want to whatever. You know, we, our minds are bizarre. And the thing is that it's not that he's never going to let you down, that you're never going to feel let down. But it's that he is always moving with you. And I want to say one more thing before we do that. You know, if we can come together and have another thought, even just those of us that are in this room, we can shift the atmosphere in such a dramatic way. If you think about it, who doesn't love Christmas? Everybody here love Christmas? I think that our nation loves Christmas so much that we keep backing up when Christmas season starts, right? Because there's something in us that craves Christmas time. And I was asking God about this a year or so ago, and I said, Lord, why is that, that everybody just loves Christmas so much? And he said, well, think about it. What is Christmas? apart from the Christian viewpoint of Christmas, it's a time where it's not just acceptable, but it's expected that you give sacrificially. It's a time where being joyful is the, the expected mentality. Not that everybody feels that way, but that's just kind of, there is these like, you know, unspoken cultural laws about Christmas time, and one is that you have to be happy, and the other one is that you have to give, right? And this is kind of how it is. But those are biblical things. When we give sacrificially, we are in line with the heart of God, and it releases something of, the, of God on the earth. So if you think about taking this season where everybody is in their heads thinking, who can I give to, even if it's a candy cane, which costs what, like 90 cents for 12, so not even, you know, 10 cents a piece. Even if we give something out, it's like we're sowing into the atmosphere this piece of heaven, whether you believe it, that that's what you're doing or not. And I think there's something in our hearts that craves Christmas time 
because culturally, we all sort of come in line with the way that God works. So then he said, he backed me up and he, he went me through over the course of the year, the different seasons and what happens in the mood of the people. And you know, in Oklahoma, around March, the air changes to being very panic-filled. And I'd encourage you to pay attention as the spring comes around. There's something that shifts. It's like the first tornado threat that comes out. Everybody's like high alert. And you could be the giant in your mind. Oh, God, you have protection over me. I'm believing this. And then all of a sudden you get that first tornado index possibility, eight. And you're like, oh, Lord, where have you gone, God? (laughs) We do that, right? And, I mean, we have a storm shelter. We stock it with stuff. I mean, I'm not saying don't be wise about where you live. We live literally where the ground zero of the 99 tornado was. So, you know, we're not refusing to acknowledge weather people. But at the same time, I want to believe bigger, right? And so it's interesting because when you drive around the city in March to June, there's just this, like, panic in the air. Why would that be? Because collectively, we're all freaking out. Halloween time. Not saying this is step on anybody's toes. But when we're all celebrating fear and darkness, guess what's going to come into the atmosphere? It's just a logical thought. I think that's part of why people crave Christmas so bad right after Halloween, because we've been inundated with so much fear, which is not from God, because the Bible says he didn't give the spirit of fear, right? So now we're not celebrating things of the kingdom. We're celebrating things that aren't of the kingdom, and we're inviting into the atmosphere this sense of panic and fear, and we're celebrating it, and then all of a sudden the next thing we need is Christmas to come. Forget about Thanksgiving. Who cares about that? I need Christmas. Why? Because there's something in our hearts that's like, I need the atmosphere to come in line with who I really am. Whether you're a believer or not, we're all designed like this, right? So it's interesting, and this is what I just want you to think about. It's interesting just to go over the course of the year in your life, the different holidays that come up, and how do you feel about those? Some of it's weather-related. Some of it's, you know, when it's cold outside, and there's all those, those kinds of things too. But there's also some spiritual dynamics to it. So what if we collectively believed that God had given us a hope to change our city? What if together we believed that we can come into places of darkness and say, you know what, you don't have to be a slave to that anymore. What if collectively we believed for the people who are homebound in their houses from fear and anxiety and and mental things, not from physical issues, that we could shift the atmosphere in our neighborhood to where they could come into having a new thought, whether we ever find out about it on this side of heaven or not. You guys tracking with me? These are the kind of crazy ones that I think we can be. We may not be technical engineers to create the next iPhone, But we can create a city that functions like the city of God. And it doesn't even have to be pounding the Bible over everybody's heads, right? It's because as an atmosphere, we decide, listen, this is what we want to project into the earth. Thank you. (laughs) So we're going to play this song. And what I want you to do is just say, God, it might, you might be ready to say, I'm a crazy one right now, but you might need to just deal with where you are in your incubator. It doesn't, there's no shame in where you are in the process. God is just wanting to affirm to you today that you are not unusually small. And if there's nothing else that you hear, hear that, that Jesus has already done. This is crazy. He's already done everything that he can for you to be who you are. He actually can't give you any more. They've already, God's given it everything. 
it's a matter of us changing our thoughts and coming to an alignment with that and saying, okay, then God, I want to see you exceed all my wildest dreams. Because once he does it once, your dreams get bigger. And then he does that, and then they get bigger. And then he does that, and they get bigger, and then the next thing you know, world domination of the gospel. Sounds good to me, right? So I'm going to pray, and you just take a second just to search your heart, whatever God puts on your heart. Lord, we just thank you that you've already done it all, and that through the cross you have given us what we need to stand up and, and be the light of the world, not just to think it or feel it, but to be it. And so, Father, I just thank you for the crazy ones that are in this room. And Lord, would you help us to search our hearts, to get rid of the thoughts that are not from you. Lord, we want to align ourselves perfectly with who you are so that we can be victorious in all areas of our life. In Jesus' name.